Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for being with us always. Your promise is I, will, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. A promise that will never be broken. I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Thank you, Lord, that you purchased our oneness with you, with your own blood. Not by any good efforts on our part. Not by any works of righteousness on our part. But by your work, you purchased union with yourself. And because we have simply believed and put our trust in you, you have made it so through the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't get any closer to God, for God is inside of us, and we are inside of God. For the Son is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in us, and we are in the Son. One, great is this mystery. Christ and the church. You our head, we your body. One. Awesome. No matter what we go through, you're going through it with us because you're one with us. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. We are where you are, seated with you in heavenly places, and you are where we are as we walk the earth. What an awesome covenant. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. God of all peace shall soon crush Satan under our feet. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us always, even until the end of the world. Thank you, Lord. What a peace. Amen. I want to share some thoughts this morning about that have to do with, um, there was a question that someone asked me that I love questions because it sparks all kinds of thoughts to know how to answer that question. The question was this, and it was, uh, it, it, he asked, he said, Paul says a lot about behavior in his letters. You know, he says a lot about things we should do um, in his letters. You know, don't, um, you know, put aside wrath and anger and uh, don't live like the world lives and those kind of things. And the question was, how do we understand, you know, this instruction about doing or not doing in light of the revelation of the grace of God and the finished work of Christ and the gift of righteousness? I mean, how do you reconcile those two? What, what's the best way to understand the apostolic admonition to us believers to 
stop doing this and start doing that. Because it's clearly a word of doing. It's not a word of believing something. It says do this or don't do that. It's a good question because it's good to, to bridge that gap and to understand how the apostle understood so that we can also understand the letters and, you know, and, and not read just the first part of his letters that talk about the invisible reality and then not read the last part of his letter that then says, because of this, do this or don't do that. Because it really doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change just because he says do this and don't do that. But it's really good to understand how to communicate that with other people, not, as, not to mention our own selves, to understand the doing part of the of the Christian faith or the, the new covenant. Um, and, and I think um, just in a, in a word before we look at some things, remember this, that Paul always proclaimed and explained the unseen reality of something that had already taken place through what Jesus did, when Jesus died and was buried and was raised again and ascended, he explained the great mystery of our own godliness by revealing what Jesus' life and death and resurrection did, what was behind it. Like one Sunday we said, what is the gospel? We talked about the work of Christ and what that, everything he did means for us. So he first, Paul always first talks about what the invisible reality is. And one of the things he really hammers on and brings to um, clarity in his letters is that in Christ, we really are a new creation. Okay. We really are a new man. We really are a new person. And we really do have a new heart. And we really are the sons of God. And we really are from above and no longer from below. So that with this foundation, and this is one of the keys, I think, to understanding the do's and don'ts. With this foundation, then you hear the apostles say simply, because the old has died, and not gradually dying, but died. And because the new has come forth by the power of God through the work of creation, for God raises the dead and calls into being that which didn't exist before. Then he simply says, put off the deeds of the old man, put on the deeds of the new man. In other words, in an essence, what he's saying when he says do and don't do, he's simply saying, be who you are. Amen. Isn't that cool? Yes. And that is totally consistent with the truth, the gospel. So that you should never get hung up on anything in the scripture, especially the apostolic writings that talk about doing and not doing. Because always keep in mind that the apostles are merely saying, in light of this, they use the word therefore a lot. Therefore, therefore, therefore. You know, then in light of that, be who you are. Be who you are. The power of that, don't miss, don't uh, underestimate, underestimate the power of believing that you are new. If we're not careful, we will run right past that. Either we'll say, I don't really believe that. I got too much 
I battle with the sin too, too much or the flesh too much. I can't, I, I, I can't imagine me having a new heart. I, just, I battle with the flesh too much. And so some people in the, in the Christian faith, <clears throat> really born of the Spirit, really don't believe they have a new heart. Deep down, they don't believe because they don't understand what Paul talked and what the other apostles talked about flesh and spirit, about the new man on the inside and the power of sin that still resides in the body. But that's not you, not the real you. So, um, and then there are those who believe they have a new heart, but it's more of a, like a mental kind of belief, but it hasn't really gone deep in a revelation way, a, re- a revealing that, wow, I, I, really, I really am new. I'm really dad. God's really my dad. I'm really a son. I'm re- I really am an alien and a pilgrim down here. I mean, this, I'm talking about a, a revealing by the Spirit of the reality that I really am new. I really am. Don't miss uh, or don't underestimate the power of that in us. Because what is the victory that overcomes the world, the Scripture says? Even our faith. Jesus said that whoever believes on him, out of his innermost being flows rivers of living water. He, he, he relates the flowing of rivers of living water with belief. So it's, it's that simple, actually. It's, it's, it's a revelation of what Jesus did, and we allow that to penetrate our minds. That's why the renewal of the mind is so important, so that we can grasp and Embrace by faith this reality of, of newness. And then, and then um, so let's look at some verses and, and, and we'll take a look at this. I think, you think this will be helpful? To um, not only help others, but ourselves when we um, read the scripture or someone else is asking about, you know, what about all these, the, the doings, the words in the scripture that talk about doing this and not doing that? Okay, first thing we, got, we need to realize, I think, is one of the first things to realize is that because this invisible work has taken place and we, are, we have literally been brought through death and judgment and been raised again as a new creation in union with Christ himself, righteous as God himself, then our doing or not doing does not affect that status. That's very important because... Some people, that's where they get hung up on the doing and the not doing because they say, well, it says I should be doing this, but I'm not doing that. So what, you know, what are the consequences? Does that mean I'm, God doesn't love me anymore? Does that mean I'm not righteous anymore? Does that mean he's not in fellowship with me anymore? Does that mean I I'm, um, need to do something to get back into fellowship? That kind of thing. So we, we, without understanding the, the invisible reality, we take the apostolic admonitions of doing and not doing and we literally put ourselves back under a law because if you are obligated before God obligated in a relationship with God to do or not do then that's basically law where there's an obligation there has to be a consequence of punishment or reward based on the doing and not doing and that's exactly 
why this thing is so uh, entrenched in us, this law thinking is so entrenched in us, because you can actually be free in the, in the spirit and free from the law, and then begin to read things like where Paul says, put off the deeds of the old man, put on the deeds of the new man, and without realizing you can put yourself under an obligation to be a new man, and when you find yourself not doing or acting like the new man you are, in your mind it's so easy to slip back into a place of condemnation and insecurity with God and, um, and a sense of alienation when, when there really is no alienation at all. But it's, a, it's a, a deception of the enemy to get you and I back into that thinking. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, let's look at some verses. And so remember the, the, the doing and the not doing that Paul refers to in his letters is not to undo everything he just did and put us back under a law. He's, he's just exhorting us, admonishing us, encouraging us to be who we are. So cool. And, that, and that's really, uh, that's God's way. God calls, calls what God, God sees the invisible and he calls forth what he sees. Um, that's why he could call forth Abraham and change his name to Abraham because he saw what Abraham didn't see. That's why he could change Peter's name and call him. You know, you're not a reed just blowing in the wind. You're a rock. See, God calls forth. He sees. That's why the prophetic ministry that Clark does and Tom and Dwayne, I mean, Wayne, Wayne Drain and... and uh, is it uh, Ed Ivy and, and others that do that? It's so cool because they're seeing in the spirit the new man and they're encouraging you to see yourself as God sees you and calling forth in a particular way. You know, God's call in our lives and that kind of thing, which is very cool. But that's how God, that's how God operates. He sees and he calls. Okay, look at, look at the, uh, if you would, let's look at Colossians again. We were... The last couple of Sundays we talked about Colossians and how Colossians was. Um, I, I really believe Colossians is one of the, the, if you want to say it this way, it's one of the highest books or highest letters in terms of, of spiritual revelation in all the Bible. I think Colossians is, is over the top. And it's, it's one of those books that, as we read, as you read it slowly, it's a short, short book, but it's so rich in spiritual revelation of the centrality of Christ and who we are in Him. It's, so, it's such a picture of the unseen that it is, it's, it's, it's really prime filet. I mean, to me, in the spiritual, it is, it is the Ruth's Chris of the Bible. Colossians. It really is. It's amazing how. Okay. Let's look. Let's look at chapter three, if you would. Chapter three of Colossians. And let's just start with chapter one, uh, verse one. I guess chapter three, verse one. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, there he's talking about the second coming, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, there's one of those therefores again. Therefore, see, considering this unseen reality, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Notice how the apostles always bring it back to the body. Members of your body, because that is a truth that is one of the things of the spirit that we need to understand for us to not get discouraged when we mess up, realizing that is not me, but that sin in my flesh and not me. As Romans 7 says. Okay. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Now, verse 6, a lot of people get tripped up on that, the sons of disobedience. That's a phrase that Paul refers to that refers to the sons of Adam. Those who are not saved are called the sons of disobedience. Um, the, the sons of, of, uh, of the obedient are the sons or those who have believed on the obedient one, Christ. So that phrase, the sons of the disobedience, is clearly, and you can see in other letters, he's not talking about believers who are walking in the flesh. He's talking about those who are in Adam, who have not believed on Christ. They're called the sons of disobedience uh, because they have not believed the gospel and obeyed. They have not obeyed and been washed by the blood of Christ. Okay. And the wrath of God is coming on this world for all, you know, sin will be judged because those who refuse the judgment that he already provided for sin, there remains no other sacrifice for sin but the Lord's sacrifice of his own life. So if those, those who refuse him as their sacrifice for their sin means that they will die still in their sins. As Jesus said, if you believe not on me, you will die in your sins, and there will be a final judgment for all sin that is not atoned for, not, not necessarily atoned for, but not forgiven, not reconciled with God. So there is a judgment coming, and you can see in all Paul's letters about how when he's revealed with flaming fire from the skies to those who have believed on him, it'll be a great day of rejoicing. But to those who have not believed, it will be a, great, a day of great fear and gnashing of teeth. There's a verse in Malachi, which is really interesting. The, the last, I think it's the last chapter of Malachi. And the prophet, is, he sees a vision of the second coming of Christ. I believe he's describing the, the final revelation of Christ. And, he, and the glory of that awesome revelation in the last chapter of Malachi and how the light shines forth and and, you know, the Lord says when he comes back, it'll be like the lightning that shines from the east to the west. Everybody, every eye will see him. It's going to be unbelievable. The prophet said it'll be like the stars will fall, and there'll be a great rolling away of the scene, and the unseen will be manifested, and myriads and myriads of angels and flaming fire. I mean, it's unbelievable, shocking, absolutely shocking to see the unseen unfold and reveal itself. Much like the day when God came down on Sinai and let natural men see his glory and they feared and said, you, Moses, you speak to him. Much like that. But that was a tiny, tiny piece of what was going to happen when God unveils himself at the coming of the Christ and his son in glory with his angels. 
And so this verse in Malachi is so cool. The prophet Malachi is describing this vision, and he says it's like fire, and it burns everything before it, and, and, and the, the, the evil are burned like ashes before. It's just total destruction. But then he says, but to those who know him, it appears like the morning sun rising in the glory of a beautiful morning with healing in its rays. The same scene as viewed from the believer is like a beautiful, glorious, the most awesome sunrise you'd have ever seen. And the rays, when they touch you, have healing in them. They're so powerful. It's healing in his rays. And, and then... Uh, and then the other view is one of fear and destruction as this light comes forth, which is exactly what happened when God came down on Sinai and Moses stepped into what appeared to be at the bottom of the mountain by Israel as an engulfing flame of fire that was terrifying. And they saw Moses walk into it from the bottom of the mountain. And yet Moses, Scripture says, to the eyes of the children of Israel, it was a flaming fire. But to the eyes of Moses, it was a refreshing mist. He stepped into a cloud of refreshing mist because he had eyes to see God as he was. The sons of disobedience don't see him. Those of Adam don't see him as he is. And, and that's why we call out to the world, you know, be reconciled to God because he's already reconciled himself to you. No other work needs to be done. He sat down. It's finished. For God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself. And what I have called holy no longer call unholy, he says. He has sanctified the world by this sacrifice. Everybody's been forgiven. They just don't know it. Everybody's been forgiven. The work is not going to be done again for those who have not yet believed. It, it's done. They, he sat down. He tasted death for every man. 1 John 2, 2 says he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world and sat down. It's done. Everybody has been forgiven. Everybody. They just don't know it. And if they refuse to believe on him, they will not receive the benefits of his work and they will die in their sin. But if they simply believe what he has already done, the promise is sure to them and to their children and to their children's children. As many as the Lord God shall call. Isn't that awesome? So here's, so here's that verse. So don't let that verse trip you up in Colossians where it says uh, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. That's a reference to those who are still in Adam and who are not in Christ. Verse 7. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. And see, that's a reference to the old life. You also acted like the sons of disobedience. And in them, those things, you also once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Okay, look at verse 8 and 9. Here's a lot of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Don't let those verses put you under a new covenant of your own making. And not a... Not a and I, it's like a new, I say new, but it's actually a, a bad covenant of your own making. Because 
God's already put together a new covenant, and in that new covenant, he remembers our sin no more. So when we don't do as we should do, as a new man, remember the truth. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. And where there is no law, sin is not imputed. And so the power of sin that is in the flesh that sometimes still manifests as we are learning how to live by him doesn't put us back under law. Paul says, if, he goes, is, is Christ the minister of sin when I walk after the flesh in Galatians? He goes, he goes God forbid, but one, this one thing I do, I don't go back and put myself under the law and make myself a transgressor and put, my back, put myself back under what God has destroyed and done away with. Isn't that cool? Okay, so here's, here's encouragement to the believer to put aside, to lay aside these old ways of thinking and acting and take on these things um, that are consistent with who we are. Look at verse um, 9 again. This is really cool. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self or new man who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Awesome. Isn't that clear? The new man is being renewed to a true image. In the Greek, the word uh, true knowledge in verse 10, I've got the New American Standard, which I recommend that translation, by the way, the New American Standard, same translation that Clark uses. Like, like what Clark said last Sunday, he goes, this is the translation that Jesus used. <laughs> I do love it. The new Amer- he's exactly right about, well, not right about Jesus using it, but he's, he's, he's exactly right about encouraging people to get the New American Standard. It is the closest translation without interpretation of the text because of um, bias in the translation, the translators. Um, for instance, just a real quick note here. The New International Version, the NIV, widely pushed by the bookstores and publishing companies, the NIV, I do not recommend that translation because there's too much um, influence in the translation of the words. It's not truly from the text. Many of the words that are translated are really um, relate more to their doctrine and what they believe as opposed to what the text actually says. And you want a Bible that translates what the Greek and the Hebrew says. Greek is New Testament. Hebrew is Old Testament. You want that the Spirit teach us, but you certainly don't want someone translating your Bible to move it a little bit closer to what they believe as opposed to what the Greek actually says and the Hebrew actually says. Good example of this, you can see it, you can read it in any NIV in chapter 7 of Romans. The translation of flesh and spirit, where Paul's talking about the flesh and, and uh, how he, he doesn't do the thing that he wants to do and the thing he wants to do he doesn't do and he's got this battle going on. And um, in that chapter 7, the translation should be flesh in the Greek. It's sarx, the word sarx, S-A-R-X, flesh, translated flesh everywhere else. But in that Paragraph: The translators in the NIV translate it sinful nature. Sinful nature, which is pure doctrine. They're throwing in the text. Teaching through that that we have two natures, that we have a sinful nature and we have a divine nature. And, and then, of course, there's the confusion that begins to unravel so much of what the apostle was teaching there. Um, we don't have two natures. We have one nature. By definition, if you have two natures, you have two origins. 
If you have two origins, you have two fathers. It just it's, it brings confusion, and it also hides the truth of the new man and the new heart and the new creation. So that's just a, one example that the NIV, I would not recommend it because it's, there are other places in Psalms, too. I don't like their, the way they've translated certain words, but the New American Standard is, is excellent. Okay. Um, I love this. Verse 10. Put on the new... Put on the new self or new man or new person who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The word true knowledge in the Greek means um, revelation knowledge, true knowledge, revelation. It means, it means knowledge of the real, the true. It's a reference in the Greek to a revealing of more than information, but of what is real in the unseen. Isn't that awesome? So your new man is being renewed to a true understanding of the real, of who you are and who he is, and it's, a, and it's according to the image of the one who created him. So you're actually getting a revelation as a new man of who you are, but it's according to who he is, because you're made in his image. You were created. The new man was created in his image. Okay. Verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, it, it, this, this transcends the visible, transcends the culture, transcends that which is of the earth. This is a spiritual reality that transcends Jew and Gentile, uh, barbarian, Scythian, educated, uneducated, slave, free man. Christ is everything and in all those who believe. See? Isn't that awesome? And then verse 12. So, another one of those words that so, because of all, because of all these things I just said, so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, that's how God sees you and I. Holy, he sees you as holy and beloved. Therefore, put on a heart of compassion. Put this on. You already, you already have it. This is who you are. You're a new creation being renewed after a true knowledge of the one who created you. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Isn't that awesome? So, when we read those things about doing and not doing, it should never cause us to put, us, put ourselves under like a, another kind of covenant with God in terms of obedience to doing or not doing. But it's merely the, the, the apostle encouraging us to simply be who we are. There's a verse in Philippians that is so cool, and I'll wrap it up here. There's a verse in Philippians that's so cool. It says, 
you, we all know it. We've, it's been mistaught in so many circles, but it says basically work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And that's been mistaught in so many circles um, to put fear on the body of Christ. And what that's actually saying is, it doesn't say work for, number one, but work out or work out your salvation. The word salvation actually means to be rescued from one place and brought to another place. The essence of the word saved or salvation is that's why when Moses, when they got on the other side of the Red Sea, they began to sing the song of Moses about salvation. You have saved us, salvation. It's actually being translated from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. You, that's why you're not waiting to be saved, but every believer is saved because you have been, the true salvation is being moved from one place to another. I have prepared a place for you full of milk and honey, Israel. I'm taking you out of Egypt, and I'm going to bring you to that place. That's true salvation. Because this place, you're not experiencing my goodness. This other place, you will experience my goodness, my favor. And that's what we, we were brought. We, weren't, we once were not a people. Now we are the people of God. We once were not in Christ. Now we are in Christ. Isn't that cool? And that's why the, one of the armors that uh, Paul talks about for the body of Christ is the helmet of salvation. Because the mind... Is, is protected when you realize I'm not from here, I'm from there, I'm, I'm from another place. I'm, I, the mind is, is aware of, of who we are, that we are in another place, even as we speak. Gospel of John chapter 3, when he talked to Nicodemus. Okay, so, so what that means in Philippians is work out this salvation, let it manifest, let this unseen reality manifest by putting on the deeds of the new man, See, putting on the deeds of the new man, being who you are with fear and trembling. That word in the Greek fear and trembling is the exact same Greek word in the Corinthian letter where Paul says, I was with you, Corinthians, with weakness and with fear and trembling, not trusting in my own ability to communicate this gospel, but trusting in the power of the spirit to confirm. So the word fear and trembling in the Greek actually means with no confidence in myself, weak fearful and trembling he was with the corinthians i was in weakness and in fear and trembling i was the greek means total uh total dependency on god himself and that's what fits in this verse it's, it's so beautiful work out your salvation let let this un, unbelievable work of god manifest with no confidence in yourself to do it fear and trembling with no confidence in yourself to do it for it is god who is at work, not you, for it is God who's at work. Next line. Both to will and to do. We're talking about doing today. This is the inner working of how we put on the new man. The inner working is this revelation and faith in a God who is inside of me working. God is at work. Both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. In other words, consistent with what is like God. The will speaks of the desire. The doing speaks of the carrying out of that desire and manifestation in our daily, daily walk. And isn't that awesome? For it is God who's at work in me, both to will and to do. Isn't that cool? 
So it's consistent all the way through. The truth is not, there's no fly in the ointment. There's no bait and switch. There's no, there's no fine print. There's, it's just understanding the invisible and the admonition by the apostles to let the invisible manifest. Be who you are. Isn't that cool? And what? <laughs> and just to be. So, um, Lord, we just thank you for helping us see the simplicity of your way. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted seed and he rose night and day and he knew not how the seed and the plant grew. He knew not. For the earth brought, fruit, brought forth fruit of her self such is the kingdom of heaven the powerful seed of the revelation of Christ will bring forth fruit by itself if you simply abide in me in a conscious awareness of union with me and if these words from the spirit abide in you you shall bear much fruit. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And with thanksgiving, the life will be manifested. And we will be full of thanksgiving and gentleness and compassion and forgiveness. That is who we are. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.